Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, I'll talk truth about the border battle, the Ocasio-Cortez view of the world, and why I defend Trump. All of it comes out to a battle about America's identity. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgianis, host of America Can We Talk, brings to the American political conversation lawyerly logic, passionate patriotism, and a commitment to preserving the extraordinary and unique greatness of America. As an author, lawyer, and political analyst, she talks truth about the tough issues facing America. Georgianis, welcome to my show, America Can We Talk, and to today's first five. Well, we are on day 24 of the shutdown. The problem in Washington, Congress cannot reach agreement with the president about funding a $5 billion demand to build the border wall. What I want to talk about in today's first five is really is the issue that the border wall battle is not really about the border wall at all. It is about, at one level, the Democrat Party unwilling to give President Trump a victory, a legislative victory. They can see that this was an issue that he ran on. He promised his screaming, cheering followers have asked him to do, and they do not want to give him that victory. The Democrats are so not upset about this that at least a group of whatever it is, 17 of them are down in Puerto Rico at a beach party uh, along with a bunch of lobbyists, not even concerned at all about what's happening in Washington. But what I really want to hit in today's first five is this. The border battle is not just about whether Trump gets his way or the Democrats get their way. The existence of a secure border is tied irrefutably and inevitably to the idea of a sovereign nation. The border battle is about the idea of whether or not we value this country, America, sufficiently that we will secure the border using whatever means it takes. One of the means is a wall in portions where other there's no other logical, reasonable way to secure the border. That's what this battle is about. But because this is my first show in my new studios at Real News PR and Real News Communication Network, I want to take a chance, an opportunity to introduce you to the bigger idea of why I do this show, America Can We Talk? The America Can We Talk, my show, is dedicated to the idea that America is a unique, extraordinary, exceptional gift of liberty to every generation of people who live here. America, the country, was created by people who created it with a firm belief that each individual, simply because you were born, has the right to liberty. That's what the promise of the Declaration of Independence is. That's what the promise of America is. It's a country rooted in a guarantee of liberty to each individual. That is a drastic difference with most countries in all of the world even today freedom is a precious unique commodity even in america today and around the world many of the issues i talk about on my show we'll go through the political issues of the day the battles what the democrats want the republicans want the conservatives the liberals but the real issue i always want to address is what does this issue mean to us in terms of preserving this extraordinary gift of liberty that we are blessed to live in the border battle is just one if you don't have a secure border you don't have a sovereign nation there is no other way around it. If you abandon your border, which it appears the Democrats are willing to do, you don't have a country. 
but many other issues also relate to the founding liberty of America. The battle of Ob about Obamacare, whether to repeal it or to revise it or to move to Medicare for all. Healthcare freedom is a liberty issue. The issue in Obamacare and healthcare is whether or not individuals have the right to have the control of their own healthcare, or does the government, can the government take control of your healthcare and make laws that limit and force you to do what they want you to do? It is a liberty issue. The same is true, this battle we have in America over identity politics. Identity politics in America, where we divide the country into groups based on race, ethnicity, national origin, women versus men, this is a core, uh, it's absolutely opposite. It is unworkable in the idea of America. America was one of the beautiful things about the founding of our country that it was founded on ideas. America itself is an idea. It's an experiment in liberty. When we dissolve our political discussions into hyphenated American groups battling each other, we are never able to come to solutions. It's an intentionally divisive technique used by the anti-American left to divide Americans and to get us to a situation where we can never get resolution. The, the rise in support of socialism in this country, astonishing the election of a openly, now two openly socialist members of Congress are, is, a, is a sign of socialism gaining strength in America. In fact, there was polling recently among millennials in America today, 51 to 45 prefer socialism. Democrat Party, 57% of uh, registered Democrats have a positive view of socialism. Fortunately, saner minds prevail in overall in America. There is still a 56 to 37 preference for freedom over socialism. But I raise this point to say embracing socialism is a country changing idea. It's the idea of abandoning individual liberty. The only economic system that works in a country committed to liberty is freedom and free markets. We also have the battle of the climate, of climate change. Tomorrow on my show, I'm going to have an expert on uh, joining us, Dr. Sterling Burnett from the Heartland Institute, to talk about how the climate, you know, climate change industry is really an industry pushing socialist redistribution, redistribution of wealth under the guise of climate concern. We also have threats to this great, precious, extraordinary idea that is America from the growth of the federal administrative agencies. We have a massive government in Washington growing and growing, unaccountable agencies, never, ever responsible to the voters because we can't, we didn't vote them in and we can't vote them out. So this is my show, America Can We Talk. I could talk about many more issues, but in closing out my first five tonight, the show is dedicated to the idea that every generation of Americans has the precious responsibility, duty, and I hope just joy in taking part in the battle to preserve America, the most extraordinary, unique exercise in human liberty in American history. That is today's First Five. Coming up next, the human side of the border wall. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I did my first five tonight, just kind of giving a reintroduction of my show. If this is the first time you watch America Can We Talk, I've been doing the show for four and a half years, but today is my first day in a new studio in, in Dallas, where, which is my base, and it is at the Real News PR, uh, PR firm at the Real News Communication Network Podcasting Center. It is a great place to do a show from. I'm, I'm thrilled to be kicking off my first show here today. 
And I talked in the first five about why I do this show. You know, I don't have a, a background in uh, radio. I'm a lawyer by background. I'm litigator by background, a, mo- a stay-at-home mom, a volunteer, a political analyst. I've done lots of things. But I'm involved in, the, in politics really trying to get all the time to the root of the argument that America is a unique experiment in liberty and there are forces within our country that are very much pushing to destroy that founding idea of liberty, to turn our country back into a country like many other countries are, where the issue is how much freedom does the government give you versus how much freedom do we agree is God-given and is inalienable to us protected for us. And I meant to mention in the uh, just a, a sign of how the idea of governance is changing in America. There was a speech given by the New York City Mayor de Blasio. And um, I didn't get to it in the first five, but I want to quote something he said before I get to the border thing. He was talking and his, he does a state of the city address, you know, like the state of the union, the state of the state. He does state of the city. And last Thursday in Mayor de Blasio's state of the city speech, he actually said, here's the truth brothers and sisters, there's plenty of money in the world. There's plenty of money in this city. It's just in the wrong hands. That is a voice, that is a message of someone who does not believe in the idea of America, does not believe in the idea that each individual has the right to make his way, to to dream his dreams, to work and succeed and thrive, and then have control of their own property, their own money. It's a guy who's thinking that the purpose of government is to take control of as much money as you can to use it in the way that you, government, thinks should be used rather than the people who worked and earned it. This is a guy telling you that he has embraced that socialist mindset, which is just just impossibly opposite of what America is. But I want to talk about the border wall for a minute because right now here we sit, we're in 2019, we have the the, uh, shutdown happen because of the border wall uh, dispute, over $5 billion. And when you think about how, what a tiny percent of the federal budget $5 billion is, you know this battle is not between the Democrats and Republicans about money. It's not about whether we can afford $5 billion for the border wall. It is about the Democrat insistence that President Trump not get a legislative victory. It's also about a stalemate of the Democrats who are going to say, we're going to go to the mattresses on this. We're going to go to the mat. We're not going to give in because they do not want this this picture that President Trump is is painting for us about a secure border and a restoration of a an orderly immigration system where we in America decide who comes to our country and we decide on what status you come and what is your what what you know whether you are entitled to receive asylum or you're not entitled. The Democrats do not want that that they have benefited greatly from this wildly open border. And I want to just tell you some facts about the border in a moment. You know, this battle about the border, I have a clip to play for you in just a moment, but this battle at the border um, is about whether or not in places where you cannot otherwise secure it, we should build a wall. Well, President Trump went down to the border along with actually both of our Texas senators. This is this is a border dispute in tech, uh, issue in Texas. So our two U.S. senators, Cruz and Corner, were there, and they spoke with a gentleman who's the head of the Border Patrol in this area about what happens at the border when there's no walls. This is clip one. We have 55 miles of fencing in this sector. We started a job in 2006. We need to finish that job. We've got 
the personnel, we need the technology, we need the resources, we need the infrastructure in order to, in, in order to control this border and manage it. Uh, Part of our area is covered with some fencing on our east side. That accounts for about 6% of our traffic. Where we have no fencing, over 90% of our traffic occurs in those areas. Okay, this should not be shocking, but the people crossing the border are succeeding where there's no wall. I mean, I almost, almost shouldn't have to say this. It is so patently obvious and basic. But the guy's saying, yeah, when there's no wall, that's when people cross the border into America. So I want to hit a couple of points about border security. And uh, they have to do with, you know, right now we've had these migrant caravans coming up from uh, Honduras and, and uh, Central America coming up through the southern border. President Trump did not incite those caravans to come. Neither do the Democrats, neither did anyone else. The point is, there are people living in low-income areas in Central America, in South America, and around the world who would love to come to America and make it their home. And America is a very generous country already, most generous in the world in bringing people to America and having new pe- new people come here and become legal immigrants. But the uh, Gallup organization did a world Gallup poll asking people around the world what percent of you who would like to leave the country you're in and move somewhere else. 15%, 1-5% of the world's adults said they would prefer to permanently move to another country rather than their own. That's about 750 million people. One in five of these potential migrants, 21%, or about 158 million adults worldwide, answered the Gallup poll and said they want to leave their country they're in and they want to come to America. 158 million. We only and we already have in America whatever it is 320 330 million people so that's like half again as many people want to come to America and you can't blame them America is a land of opportunity security safety uh, well-being promise of course people want to come here but the answer cannot be just because there are people who want to come here that we just simply open our borders and this is part of what this battle is about the world is watching whether or not America actually will enforce its borders. Will actually say, we have a border here, everybody has to come through one of our legitimate legal entry points, and then they have to present to us a reason why they think they should be able to come here seeking asylum. Because if we don't do that, if we just abandon these areas where there is no possibility of controlling the border, you and we handle this crisis poorly. We surrender the border to the migrant caravan, who, by the way, of course, once they come in, even when they come here and they make an application for asylum, we now have this catch and release policy that says, okay, well, now we know you're here, you know, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, we know you're here. Here's your trial date. Here's your hearing date. Come back for your hearing and we'll decide whether you get asylum. And it's something in the range of 80% or 85%, of course, never come back for the hearing. They, they disappear into the American population. So if we want to agree as a country that anyone can come here and we will not in any way try to figure out whether they meet our asylum requirements, whether they have some kind of record of, of wrongdoing that we don't want them to come into America, if, if we, unless we want to have that happen, we have to secure the border. The numbers are staggering. The other element of this border security issue has to do with the rule of law. And you know, when you think about it, 
I have not ever entered a country illegally. I think most people watching, you've never done it. People do leave their countries out of desperation, out of poverty, out of fear of the government. But we have in America a set of laws designed to meet the situation when people come here and seek asylum. We have to insist that those laws are followed, or if someone wants to change the asylum laws, then have Congress change the laws. But we can't, we do not have as a standard now, we cannot have as a standard that says anyone who's poor can come here and will let you in and will never enforce our border, which is really what the Democrat Party is permitting to happen. I also want to mention on this, um, with respect to migrant flows coming into America, we already have in, in uh, America an increased number of people who are coming to to America, not they're coming through the southern border, but they're not coming from Mexico. The numbers are greatly increasing of people coming from other countries other than Mexico. And so they are coming through the Mexican border, but they are, in fact, here are the numbers. The U.S. Border Patrol said individuals of, from countries other than Mexico have increased from 59,000 people in the year 2010 to 99,000 in the year 2012. In a two-year period, almost doubled. And so, of course, within these migrant groups, there are some, there's a potential for terrorists to be part of the groups. Look what's happened to Europe. Europe had an uncontrolled migrant flow into Europe over the past, whatever it is, 20 years. They're now having an extremely difficult time handling the uh, migrant flow, especially they've had such a large influx of people from Islamic countries who are bringing uh, all sorts of challenges to the legal systems in their country in a variety of ways. No vetting occurred. The, the borders were open. People poured in. And now Europe is trying to backtrack and figure out how to insist upon control their borders and insist upon retaining their culture. So there's a, there, there's a sovereignty issue, a rule of law issue, a pure numbers issue. There's also the issue of crime. And, you know, I, I'm just, I am saying all this to get to a point about what the battle is between President Trump and the Democrats over the border wall. Because the idea that it's about money is absurd. But I want to finish one more point about the, number, the amount of crime occurring committed by illegal immigrants already in America. And the numbers are pretty staggering and alarming. Okay, first of all, among people who enter America as illegal immigrants, according to the United Nations, people entering America as illegal immigrants, 97% of them come across the 2,000 mile border between US and Mexico. And so that is 97% of illegal immigrants coming in, come across the southern border, only 20% of those who cross illegally are caught. So we already have a massive influx of people not caught because we don't have a wall and we don't have a secure southern border. We have about 4.5 million illegal aliens in the U.S. driving on a regular basis, virtually all of them without licenses or insurance. We have, of the 188,000 deportations that happened in 2011, 23% had committed criminal traffic offenses. We have state prisons and we have federal prisons filled with illegal immigrants, people who came to America. They're not in jail for entering America illegally. They're in jail for having cr committed crimes in America. And Charlie Kirk, I have a clip here of Charlie Kirk of Turning Point USA answering the question when someone asked him, why, you know, what's the good defense of why we have, we have to have a border wall? Here's Charlie Kirk. An illegal alien in the state of Arizona is twice as likely to commit a crime versus a natural born citizen. Fact. 
90% of all heroin and fentanyl come across the southern border. Fact. Over 10,000 kids are illegally sex trafficked across the southern border every single year. Fact. We have 56,000 illegal immigrants in our federal prison system. Fact. And countless in our state pen pen penitentiary system. $135 billion a year. That's how much is the financial burden on U.S. taxpayers every single year that illegal immigrants drain from our system. Fact. And, you know, I just thought he did a good summary. That's Charlie Kirk, and he's with, um, he founded Turning Point USA, and to his right or your left on the screen is Candace Owens, who's been a great, she's been on the show a couple of times, great guest, great outspoken person. Um, but anyway, what Charlie Kirk is getting at is, we have this discussion about border security, and it relates to all the other issues surrounding immigration and citizenship and the standards for citizenship and what to do about DACA and what to do about people who are here legally and the dreamers and that whatever the number really is, estimates range from 11 million to you know 40 million people in America illegally. Whatever those numbers are, America, Americans, legal citizens who work here pay taxes, follow the law, are shouldering the burden of this, this just endless burgeoning population of illegal immigrants. And, you know, I'll tell you something else about the Democrats that has just really, on this whole issue, you can go back. I had clips that thought it was just too much time to take today, but there are clips that show Chuck Schumer just complaining that we need to stop calling these people undocumented uh uh, immigrants. They are illegal immigrants. You have Schumer insisting we have to have border security. You have statements by who Schumer now being the Democrat uh, minority leader in the Senate, who's now blaming this border problem on President Trump, whereas only in less than 10 years ago, Schumer was saying the same thing Trump is saying now. You had Schumer saying it. You had Nancy Pelosi saying it. You had Hillary Clinton saying it. You had Bill Clinton saying it. You had Democrats over the decades over the decades, agreeing, of course, we have to have a secure southern border. The Democrats know it. The American people know it. President Trump knows it. The entire population of America, legal population, actually knows we have to have a secure border or else we don't have a country or else we're just a blob of soil somewhere on the planet Earth with people wandering aimlessly because there are no lines. But lines create countries. And lines create, in America, lines create the United States of America and the particular idea of a country that America is. When we have people coming to America, wanting to become citizens, or coming here on green cards, we have not only the legal right, but actually the obligation to the existing population of Americans, of Americans who are here legally, we have an obligation to make sure that people coming here understand what the idea of America is. Understand that this is a country based on the rule of law. That if you entered our country illegally, you're not entitled to stay here just because you want to. We have other steps that we, we the idea of the border wall is the idea of retaining the idea of America. It's the idea of maintaining a country where we have our laws, our rules, our systems, our standards for citizenship. This is what the idea of America is. And if people don't like that idea, 
and they want to change the law in America, that's another way to go about it. But what has to happen in America, in addition to getting the southern border secure, and President Trump has been one just absolutely willing to push on making many changes. He is trying to push to end the catch and release policy that people sneak over the border. They're here. They seek asylum. We get their data and we say, okay, come back. If you're hearing, of course, they never come back again. But we had this idea of catch and release, and Trump is saying, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to process them while they're there. The second and even deeper issue that Trump is willing to address and must be addressed to get the immigration problem under control is to address the issue of birthright citizenship. I'm not going to go off on that today. I've done on other shows, but the idea that simply if you if you break into America, if you come across our border illegally and you're not a citizen and you manage to arrive in the American side of the river or the American side of the border and give birth to a child, the question of whether that child is entitled under the U.S. Constitution to birth to citizenship at, because he or she was born in America is not a subtle question of law. The, the issue is a constitutional issue. We need to have the court address it someday. But all these issues, they kind of get around to what I wanted to kind of close this segment of the show on uh, with respect to the border security issue. President Trump is the first president in decades willing to take on the hard questions that most of Washington, the Republican side and the Democrat side, will let slide. President Trump is willing to take on the hard issues, saying, no, we actually have a huge problem at the border. We have a porous border. We have people pouring across the American border all day long. We don't enforce our law. And then we have them in America. We have, obviously, crime occurring at the hands of illegal immigrants. I could have read you many more statistics and didn't want to get off on stats too much. But there's a very serious correlation, a higher instance of criminal conduct by people who are illegal aliens in America than people who are citizens in America. There's also a much higher instance of reliance on government dependency programs by illegal immigrants as compared with people who are legal, legally in America. The point is, taking control of the border is taking back, is insisting on the identity of America, insisting on the meaning of America, that America was founded to be a country rooted in the rule of law, a country where we have a unique idea about what liberty is. We're, we're, we're part of a grand experiment in all of human history to be in a country based on liberty that everyone is responsible to follow the rule of law. Everyone's responsible to participate in this system. And we're entitled as a country, as every other country is, to set our standards for what constitutes citizenship, what categories of people have permission to be in this country, and taking back our country from the lawlessness at the border is kind of like in your personal home. If you came home from vacation or woke up in the morning and discovered that your home was filled with people who'd broken in, you would remove them or you'd have the police remove them. You wouldn't just say, well, I guess it isn't our home anymore. Well, America, the country is our home. We have just as much right to insist on who is an American who has a legal right to be here, what, stat what status, uh, statuses are available, a citizenship or some other status for people to come here, we have that right and we have to insist on that right or else we're just abandoning this great experiment in liberty in America. 
enough on that. I've done a lot on border. I'll do more on the border. But I want to turn now and talk about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I want to just, if you don't know who that is, you really should. We have a picture of her, I think. I don't know if we have it or not. But Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a young woman uh, who was elected to the U.S. Congress from a uh, Democrat uh, district in the state of New York. She ran, the one thing I'll give her credit for, she ran a brilliant uh, primary challenge. She challenged a long-term incumbent Democrat who'd been in Congress 20 years representing this Democrat district, and she challenged him in a primary, and she did work hard. She knocked on doors and told people, hey, I'm Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or people call her AOC. In fact, I think her Twitter handle is AOC. And she's basically arguing, uh, she said to them, you know, you need new representation. I'm the new you, all that. Her district is heavily Hispanic. She is Hispanic. And so she beat this long-term incumbent Democrat, you know, probably the biggest surprise of the primary election season in 2016, excuse me, in 2018. She's now in Congress. So she's a member of Congress. She's an openly Democrat socialist. And part of what, you know, I talk about the many things we have to change in this country um, and to restore America, to restore what America means and is to people. It is to restore our education system because people leave elementary school, high school, college, grad school. They leave school in America without not without ever having learned, with never never having been taught why America is unique and extraordinary and great. People never learn it. They leave college. This, there she is, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She has a, a degree, a bachelor's degree, I think from, from BU, from Boston University, majoring in economics. And she's in Washington as a new member of Congress. And she is, I tell you the good and bad of it, she is a strident socialist, openly, happily socialist, says so. She actually staged a sit-in in the Democrat, uh, Nancy Pelosi's office, the Democrat, uh, now she's again, sadly, the majority leader, but staged a protest in her office demanding immediate action on climate change, immediate uh, you know, passage of this Green New Deal that she wants, which we're going to be talking about tomorrow. But she's a really good example. And this, this segment, I'm going to do a lot of segments over the year related to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It's not really aimed just at her. It's aimed at the millennial mindset, and not all millennials, but the mindset that actually thinks that socialism works, that actually thinks that they have, they have this snowflake attitude, they can't be insulted, they can't be, um, they, they can't be criticized. They can criticize all day long, but it's that snowflake attitude that emerged out of college uh, for her and her snowflake generation. But she's made the news in a variety of ways. She gets more media attention than Nancy Pelosi or any other Democrat in Washington. I think President Trump should make her the face of the Democrat Party because she is young. She is she is militant. She's on a mission. She is clueless does not it would be too nice a word to describe her failure to grasp things she is wedded and rooted in identity politics one of the most harmful uh, forces in the american political conversation one of the most harmful forces in america is this identity politics idea that people instead of saying i'm an american i'm a conservative i'm whatever it is they i'm a you know and then fill in the blank american some ethnicity race national origin or gender versus just i'm an american who believes something 
But anyway, she's rooted in this identity politics. So she got in a few skirmishes this week, which make a lot of points. Uh, they just she just epitomizes the things, the problems we have in America, and how they have, and what we have to, you know, we have to fix. We have to fix it because we're Americans, and we're going to get our country back on track. So Alexandria Ocasio Cortez took issue with a. Um, a posting, there was an announcement by, uh, I think it was CBS, it was one of the major, yeah, CBS major networks, they did a Twitter announcement lining up, they had pictures of the people they have chosen to head up their team for the 2020 presidential election cycle. And yes, sadly, we're already into that phase where we're looking at the 2020 presidential um, election. So, CBS put out a tweet listing their, uh, showing the faces of their, I think it is 12 people. They have eight 2020 campaign reporters and, and four 2020 associate producers. So they had their little picture of the people and their name. So this is CBS is announcing, hey, look at these people. This is who's going to head up our campaign team for 2020. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez responded on Twitter, taking a shot at them. And so, you know, this, this Twitter announcement by them was just basically saying, you know, hey, look at our team. Here we go. You know, 2020 presidential election. Ocasio-Cortez took a shot saying this white. Here's her. This is what she tweeted in response. The White House, this White House administration has made having a functional understanding of race in America one of the most important core competencies for a political journalist to have. Yet CBS News hasn't assigned a single black journalist to cover the 2020 election. She closed out with her with unacceptable in 2019. Try again. Okay, this is a great example. What is so evil, sinister and just plain stupid about identity politics? What if CBS instead had put out a picture, uh, it put out the pictures on their tweet announcing who's going to be their 2020 team and listed had, had only black journalists, had only, you know, black journalists listed as their core team. But the, all those black journalists were conservative. So they covered, which would never happen because it's CBS, but you know, we're doing a hypothetical here. If you had 12 black journalists committed to be part of the CBS team dealing with the 2020 uh, presidential election, you would have the left going nuts because they'd be saying, wait a minute, those are all conservatives. What about, you know, why, why don't you have a balance? Why don't you have some liberals? But the point is, she's so fixated on race, so fixated on identity politics, she's not even thinking about the question of, where are these people politically? Does it, I mean, shouldn't that matter more? Shouldn't you want among, of all things in journalism, you should want people who would, if you must have journalism, which seems just committed to having bias woven into every story and every topic, wouldn't you at least want to have a range of people's political views, have leftists and you know centrists and people on the right, whatever the com combination is? The point is, the fact that these people happen to all have, and there were, by the way, among this group that the CBS had chosen, there were um, you know several women. I'm going to tell you, one, two, three, four, five women, uh, obvious, uh, several um, Asian, several Hispanic. It was not a all blue-eyed blonde 
um, you know, men. That was not what it was at all. It had women and men. It had, it had other minorities. But she's so fixated on race and so fixated on her moral preening and virtue signaling. Look at me. I'm standing up because I don't like the idea they don't have black, uh, a black journalist. So one guy, um, probably others too, but one guy at the Daily Caller, one of the writers for Daily Caller, kind of took her up on that. And, and he's been responding and saying, you know, well, wait a minute, you know, what, what are we into ratios? We're into, uh, uh, what's it called? Not ratios. We're into, um, uh, yeah, firm ratios. We're insisting. Uh, and she, and you know, we're insisting on ratios. She says, no, no, uh, racial quotas. What, uh, what are you talking about, Alexandra? You want racial quotas? She responds to that. The point is she went back and forth and back and forth on Twitter arguing with this characterization uh first of all arguing with cbs for who they chose to be their reporters second of all arguing with this reporter at daily caller who dared to call her out and say really alexandria come on um and then she continued the argument with just snarky this is a 29 year old who's been out there advocating for socialist solutions to everything under the sun and she's out there arguing with somebody at Daily Caller. And the final edge on this story is that she's now complaining, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, member of Congress, Democrat, socialist, member of Congress, is complaining because the Daily Caller, she says, her question was, when does nonstop criticism of me by the Daily Caller rise to the level of harassment? Well, let me tell you the answer, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Nobody at CBS asked her opinion about who they put on their team to go uh, cover the 2020 presidential elections. She's sticking her nose in their business, making an you know, unfounded accusation that somehow racism is happening. Because look at this. You know, they don't have any. I, I've decided what is the correct. A racial composition and I get to say that they're wrong for not having a black journalist as part of that she's sticking her nose in she's harassing CBS she's harassing Daily Caller for talking about this issue and pointing out what her attitude is and then her complaint is how dare you harass me as one little tip last tip in Alexandria before I hit the last topic of the day Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez put out a tweet and commented on the fact that before she was a member of Congress, she used to bartend and wait tables at a particular restaurant. And she put out a statement saying she was so saddened to learn that the restaurant where she had, you know, met customers and had a great work experience and been a bartender and been, been a waitress, she lamented that her, the, the restaurant had closed down, had gone out of business. The manager of the restaurant reported, put out, that the reason, in large part, that they had to close down is because they cannot afford the cost of doing business because of policies this ding-dong socialist supports. She is a raise minimum wage, jack up minimum wage. This restaurant is saying, we can't afford to be in business because of these idiotic policies of the kind Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez pushes and this is you know we'll talk on the show many many times about socialism but this pipe dream mentality of people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez thinking somehow the government can wave a magic wand and fix everything simply because she wants them to because government can somehow make it so everybody has an income level that they like and they're comfortable with she thinks somehow she can do that 
because she has not one clue about how the world works, about how free markets work, about why America is the most extraordinary, exceptional, abundant, prosperous country on the planet because of freedom, because of free markets, because we didn't so far get duped into socialism. You'll be hearing more about her. I don't mean to pick just on her, pick on just her. It's on everyone in her generation and every generation foolishly thinking somehow you can wave a magic wand and make things fair that aren't fair. Last topic of the day. You may have seen the news that Jeff Bezo, Bezos uh, is divorcing uh, is becoming is divorcing his wife. This is the guy. I'm sure you know Bezos. He founded Amazon. He founded Amazon. Um, and actually, I read an interesting story about it. Like literally driving across the country with an idea about books. But founded Amazon in 1994. He is worth 128 billion dollars. And he then bought the Washington Post in 2013. And the Washington Post kind of dedicates every day, all day, all Newsday to criticizing, tearing down, mocking and deriding President Trump, which takes me to Trump's tweet. Trump put a tweet out about Bezos getting divorced because after the divorce was announced, the National Enquirer, uh, not a paper I read, but the National Enquirer put a story out how they had been tracking Bezos for months because he's been having an extramarital affair. So Trump put out some tweet, called him Bozo instead of Bezos, and criticized him essentially for the divorce, having an affair, and then ending up um, in the front pages of National Enquirer. And people criticize that and they say, this is a good example of Trump being unpresidential. You know, why did he have to tweet that? Why couldn't he just be quiet? Why do you have to say that? You know, he just looks so petty. I'm going to tell you something. The answer to why he said that is the answer to why many people defend Trump. And that is because he fights. Because he does not surrender to the relentless attacks on America from the American left. He's had Bezos newspaper, the Washington Post, attack him since the day he rode down that escalator and announced he's running for president. Malign, attack, leak, anything they can do to hurt him. Bezos owns that paper, which has protected Amazon too, by the way. And so President Trump, this is just a tweet saying, yeah, you know what? I don't like how you treat me. I'm going to say something about it. This is why people defend Trump. And I'll tell you, you know, um, there was a great quote about Abraham Lincoln when he was asked why he didn't fire Ulysses S. Grant, because apparently uh, Ulysses S. Grant, great warrior, was also a kind of foul mouth that drank too much, pretty surly, unpleasant guy. And President Lincoln's answer to why he didn't fire Grant was because he fights. And that's why people, including myself, defend President Trump, because we've had decades and decades of, of, of just watching America move to the left, fail. We have not had enough strong Republican leaders in Washington insisting on limited government, free markets, insisting on those core, precious building blocks of America. We watch our country, our massive, the government grow, watch the government get bigger and bigger and bigger and more powerful, more intrusive. We watch the surrender of too many, on too many issues, too many times of the conservatives in Washington to the relentlessness of the American left. And this is why people support President Trump. They don't really, they don't love every tweet or every word or every issue about his personal life, but he fights for the goodness and greatness of America. And this is why people defend him.
I'm Debbie Georgias. This is my show, America Can We Talk. For tomorrow's show, we have the Green New Deal and an expert, Dr. Sterling Burnett, coming to explain Ocasio-Cortez's Green New Deal. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. Talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you hear us now? The soul of freedom is crying. You're listening to RNCN, the digital destination for premium talk radio.